Hello, it's Friday and you know what time it is. It's time for a new podcast from Sofeast, the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. It's episode 164. Renault is with me. I'm Adrian from the Sofeast team as well. Hi, Renault. Hey, Adrian, and um, hi to all the listeners. Yeah, hello to everybody tuning in from all around the world. And actually, we do get a lot of um, people listening from all over the place. I know if you've uh, if you've seen the stats recently. I mean, we got people in uh, we got people in Africa, we got people in South America, of course, the US and Canada and Europe. It's pretty crazy. We got a we got a global reach here, and it's nice to see our little community uh, growing as we go along with this. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> mm. So, one of the things that we have discussed in the past, and this is today's topic, is environmental concerns and how this is affecting people doing manufacturing people bringing new products to the market and today we're going to be talking about how to design a product for lower environmental impact basically we're going to be looking at some environmental improvement strategies for our product it has to be baked from the ground up Mm. that's a difference from Actually, from what we discussed before, when we were saying, okay, you know, people come up with some kind of conceptual design, sort of, then they work with an industrial designer, or they get an industrial design, but still, there's always some, you know, certain things that are going to be very specific, maybe to some of the processes, the, the manufacturing processes involved in making some of the parts, and and maybe they, I don't know, if they want to to do the assembly in a high labor cost country, then maybe they need fewer parts and and really think of things through the assembly about how to make it really easy. So it, you know, the same, same product can be made in, in 20 seconds rather than three minutes, you know, and, and, Mm. and there's some, some real cases like that. Uh, Here we're not talking about sort of catching the design at one point where it's already, relatively advanced and then thinking of okay how to get that into manufacturing or how to how to tweak it to get something better right mm-hmm. basically if you want the product to be more environmentally friendly and if it's really a, a major part of, of the strategy well it's 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 got to be baked in the design from the start and we're going to see more and more of that um, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of products in the market now that sort of greenwash, right? They say, oh, uh, you know, something kind of meaningless, like, oh, the like the cardboard of the packaging, you know, like is 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 recycled or something. Okay, yeah, but the entire product, you know, it's like <laughs> is 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 98% of the environmental impact, right? Of the of the whole product. I mean this and and it comes from China and you you send it by 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 plane because it's late and everything. And you still you you know <laughs> You still dare to say it's green, you know? So there's going to be some, there has been some pushback against this type of greenwashing. And like always on this kind of topic is the European Commission that's working uh, working hard on this. And they announced that they would uh, make some amendments to the, um, the directive about what is it like uh, false claims? I forget the exact name of the directive, but yeah, false claims, something else directive. Okay. Um, and if you, if you pretend that your product is environmentally friendly, if you show some kind of like green leaf or something like that, lets people think that it's environmentally friendly. If you cannot back it up by, um, you know, 
like some specific performance testing and like checking maybe the energy consumption, for example, or, or, or durability reliability, reliability testing or something like that. Uh, or if you can really bring like material evidence, then it's actually against the law. Okay, uh, soon, right? We're talking one, two years later. But I would expect something roughly similar in places like Canada, Australia, right? Uh, UK might follow that in one way or another, right? Uh, USA, well, we never know. Uh, they, they have their own agenda. They, they, they're very big and they have a different general attitude to um, regulating businesses. So this is going to be more and more important, right? Especially as also governments try to, well, they try to regulate, but not necessarily in imposing certain rules to businesses like you must do this, you must not use this or that right i mean there's some of that of course you know for, for example is this going to come in the european union again you know first 2025 the digital product passport and we discussed this before and we wrote about it it's part of the proposal for the eco design for sustainable products uh, yep. regulation okay it's going to be a regulation like as soon as it comes into in, into play boom um it's going to be exactly the same requirements in all the countries of, of the EU. Pretty serious. So mm -hmm. that product passport's main objective is to provide the consumers, the buyers, you know, the shoppers, whether it's in a shop or in e-commerce, right, on, on a website, provide them with the information about the product. So, you know, more and more information will have to be provided there so that they can actually make the right decisions and maybe, you know, put a bit of pressure on the manufacturers that way, okay? Uh, sort of stimulate competition in, in, in the right way rather than just uh, vote some regulations from um, on high, right? So mm. th that's the context, right? There's going to be some regulations pushing the, the, the manufacturers. There's going to be some uh, transparency to consumers and more pressure, more pressure from consumers and, and users and, and whatever, right? B two B, B two C. That's a that's a trend. That's a mega trend. There's no way to ignore it, right? So more and more businesses are thinking, hey, let's try to design products so that they are less environmentally uh, impactful, right? And then some of them, I'm not sure we discussed it before, but we, we wrote about that. Some of them even try to design products that not only have less of a bad impact, but are really going into a circular economy. Okay, yeah. and that's when you 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 hear about cradle to cradle, right? Like the cradle, or like the product is born, and then the product goes end of life, but actually is reused. Or recycled, but like not downcycled, but recycled or re reused in a way that is as useful without consuming a lot of energy, without mm. the addition of a lot of chemicals and, and whatever, you know, other substances. So when you reach that state, then the product is kind of, you know, nearly circular and sustainable. Okay. Sustainability is not just less, you know, a, a lower bad impact on the environment. It's also allowing people to stop just like making stuff and transporting stuff and depleting 
natural natural resources of the of the of the the, the planet, right? So mm. that means the product can just keep being reused and reused and reused and keep providing value uh, with minimum uh, minimal um, energy and and and, and consumption of resources, etc., to to keep recycling it, right? But that's sort of the ideal, right? For most companies, the logical next step is try to think, okay, how can we reduce the impact on the environment? Like, how to do less harm, how to be less mm-hmm. bad, okay? So that's mm-hmm. sort of the general context, right? And that has to be taken into account at the design stage, the early product design stage, right? Yeah. Otherwise, like it's way too late when you have a product already designed. Well, I mean, 90% or maybe more of its environmental impact is already already decided. Okay, well, and then, okay, you still have a little bit of room. Okay, maybe manufacture it in, in places that uh, maybe, you know, retreat the water and have more energy efficient machinery and so on and so forth. And maybe very close to the market, you can still have an impact, of course. But at least seventy-five percent of the environmental impact is already already set, and, and in some cases, much more than that, right? Mm. Yeah, because if you've locked in like all of your components, for example, uh, then into the design, into your bomb, and these maybe are not very sustainable materials or components. If you're going to get, if you're going to then say, oh, we need to get rid of these, and we need to find completely sustainable options. Basically, you're scrapping the whole product. You're starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's a good point. Um, so, what we want to to talk through, basically, in in this podcast, is um, some good practices for for designers, right? For product designers who mm-hmm. want to design and develop and and bring to market some more environmentally conscious or more envir- environmentally friendly products. Well, let, let's say products that do less harm, right? Um, and this comes from that uh, IEC standard. So IEC is the, what is it? In- International Electrotechnical Commission, right? That's Pa-pa-pa-pa-pa. right. IEC, yeah. Okay, so IEC, they produce standards among other things. They only think about electrical electronic products, okay? Whereas the ISO that, you know, uh, most people at least have heard of, like ISO 9001 and these kind of things, is much more transversal, touches on a lot of different topics, about a little bit about everything, right? And in some cases, there's some standards that are sort of co-produced and co uh, distributed by both ISO and IEC, right? ISO slash IEC, maybe 27001, for example, for, for information security measurement system, right? Okay, so it's kind of a bit like ISO, but usually more technical, uh, more more into the technical uh, aspects and, and really about electrical, electronic products. But really um, what, what we're going to talk about applies to a lot more than electrical, electronic products. Right. Mm. So, so they have this standard IEC sixty two four thirty, right? Six two four three zero, published in twenty nineteen. That's called environmentally conscious design principles, requirements, and guidance. Okay. So there's a lot of like yeah principles and guidance really to help. And then if you say well 
we really like we comply to ISO sixty two four thirty, or you maybe you uh, maybe you you require your design house to comply. Then there's like requirements. Okay, they they they, they can only say that they comply to the standard if they really comply to all these requirements. So it's it's also written in that in that way. Okay, so I'm not going to bore you with all that that stuff about that standard, but they have a list of really good suggestions, right? Uh, in 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 one of the appendices, and that's what I wanted to cover. It, it's got in five five big categories. One is designed for material sourcing. Uh, then it's designed for manufacture. Then it's designed for transport and distribution. Then it's designed for use, including installation, maintenance, etc. And finally, it's designed for end of life. So here you see a pattern that's very common when you start to look at the environmental impact of, of a product or, or a factory or something like that, is that if you look at the product life cycle, right? The product life cycle, again, like uh, cradle to grave, right? Uh, typically. So the product is designed, the product is made, the product is like distributed, transported. Uh, then it's the in the hands of the users. They use it, they store it, they use it, whatever, right? They repair it. Uh, they change some parts and so on. Then they um, it, it get like, oh, it no longer works. or maybe it really outlived its usefulness and they stop using it. Okay, then what do they do with it? Do they just throw it in the, the landfill? Can they do something useful, right? So that's the structure. And it, that's always a very good structure for, for thinking about the environmental impact of, mm. um, of, of a product or manufacturing process or anything. Okay, so... Let's let's go through um, through these five uh, big families of um, considerations. Yeah, that ma- that makes sense. That, that that's uh, that's good. So uh, the first one then is design for material sourcing. Right. So as a designer, you have to pick what materials, right? And and at the same time, how how they're going to be made. Okay. So I'm I'm going to read through the options that they suggest and and uh, and and provide some comments. Uh, but it's usually I find it quite, you know, uh, very good guidance. Okay, so to start with, consider reducing weight and volume of product. Well, yeah, um, that's going to have an impact, obviously, on um, on transportation, etc., uh, which of course consumes, um, you know, mm-hmm. have several types of impacts, right? Consume um, gas or kerosene or whatever, and also emits. Uh, greenhouse gas, um, uh, you know, types of gases, right? So mm. reduce the weight, reduce the, vol- the volume. That also typically means uh, less packaging if it's less yeah. volume. And That's also uh, if it's less weight, well, very often it also means less consumption of material. Okay. So that's um, that's a good one. Another one is increased reuse of products via remanufacturing. There's so many, so many examples of this, right? I don't know. Like I, years ago, actually, it was my, my my first job. I was working in a factory making cork for wine. Okay, hmm. and there's so much waste because when they want the, like the nice cork for the nice um, bottles of of wine, you only pick like the most sort of pure and noble parts of the of the bark of the tree right 
Oof. Yeah. And then you have maybe half of the cork is sort of wasted. Okay, so what do they do? They will also take all this stuff, purify it, wash it, and so on, uh, grind it down, right, in like small sort of pellets, if you want. And then they would have some kind of binder, okay, it's not really glue, there's a sort of glue that binds it together. They mold it and poof, you have a um, you have a cork. And actually most, I believe by now, most cork sold in the world when they are in, um, in, in natural cork, uh, maybe it's half of them, maybe it's more than half, but a lot of them have this, um, you know, sort of, sort of are re- reconstituted cork, mm. you know, molded from small granules, right? So that, that's an example. I think another one are, and I know that sneaker brands are probably not the most sustainable companies, but right, right. Uh, they, they, I think Adidas claims that they have this range of shoes, which are, um, I think they call it made to be remade. And they're made mm, from, right. they're made from all parts that can be taken back by the company and then basically re sort of machined and used in, in making new products. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Right, right. So if of course is it might not be as durable, as nice, as whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh but if you communicate that and you make it a a marketing uh like a setting point, actually some customers will go with it, right? It's sort oh, of yeah, a bragging absolutely. right for them. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. look at my look at these shoes, you won't believe, you know. <laughs> Um, that that sometimes makes a lot of sense. The next one is increased use of recycled materials to replace virgin materials. Well, uh, that yeah, it's kind of what I mentioned before. So yeah, uh, but yeah, so for example, you know, plastic injection molding. There's a lot of a lot of companies really insist. They say, oh, this product you have to use only virgin material. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be cracking. It's going to be, you know, it doesn't have the same physical properties and so on and so forth. Like, okay, so (laughs) Chinese suppliers like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But sometimes they kind of they put 10 percent or 20 percent back into it. Right. And they kind of Mm. sometimes they're a bit nasty. They try to find the limit, you know, 35 (laughs) percent. It seems like, yeah, really, it cracks easily. Maybe that's. Maybe we should not go higher than that, right? Mm. But um, what they're doing actually is a form of uh, optimizing for that. And and sometimes, yeah, you have 20% of regrinded material. Well, the cost is lower and, uh, and, and overall the product is just as good. There's no discerning, mm. uh, how to say, discernible difference in some cases, right? So you do yeah. it in a scientific way, you test, and, and sometimes you can really... Um, go with that um after that is increase the reuse of components and sub assemblies well mm. yeah reuse reuse as much as you can right yeah. uh, is sort of the same uh, it's not just materials uh, our old uh, our old friend apple that we've mentioned a number of times <laughs> i guess they're kind of a benchmark in many ways i saw recently renault there was a really cool video actually of they've got like this special robot it's got a name i don't remember what its name is it's like oh, yeah, a human right. name right. and yeah. it, it's sort of like picking up 
old iPads that have been sent in. If you've bought an Apple product, you can send them your old one and they give you some money off whatever you're buying and things like that. And they say that they recycle it well they appear to actually do that. So the robot sort of rips it apart and then picks out all of the little components and and can uh, and those can then be sort of reused. So I think that's an example. Yeah, Daisy. Daisy. Ah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in this case, it's more a reuse of, of materials, uh, you know, the copper, the gold, the whatever, mm. um, for sure. And, and more and more with batteries, you know, the lithium, the cobalt and so on. So... Mm. Yeah, they try to to extract maybe by by um, by heating it up and and melting it or some some other ways, right? They have a number of ways to do it depending on the mm. the application. Yeah, yeah. Um, next one is reduce the use of scarce materials. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, for example, Tesla, you know, they've been working very hard with their batteries to reduce the amount of. Um, of 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 um of lithium and cobalt and some of the 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 materials that they know they have the most trouble sourcing right mm. so they've been uh, pushing their engineers <laughs> to work very hard uh in that direction that's a, that's an example mm. um next one is minimize or eliminate the use of substances hazardous to health or the environment well yeah <laughs> the most common example probably is lead right the metal that's very easy to to um to work with and so on and so forth mm. but lead i mean if you um <laughs> people say that rome got into big trouble because they all the pipes were made you know with lead and uh, people just got nuts <laughs> right mm. um it really got to the brain uh, but also, yeah, in 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 some ways, it's bad for the environment, right? So there's there's a lot of examples of that. Um, next one, decrease the need for consumables. Yeah. So, I mean, look at internal combustion engine cars, right? Over the years, for a car, let's say that that's 1.2 tons metric tons. Mm. Uh, that that's traveling at whatever 100 kilometers an hour or 60 miles an hour well you compare the 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 gas guzzlers of of the 60s to the usually very efficient engines of today and you see that you have better performance you know faster acceleration much less noise and so on but also it consumes mm. way way less gas right mm. so that's um that's an example um but here um let me see yeah here it's more like for for producing the the materials that we that they're talking about so um yeah need for consumables uh, and what goes together with the next one actually yeah decrease yeah. the quantity of energy for example energy and oil used throughout the product's life cycle so if you make a car, yeah, that consumes less, that's better. But also, yeah. for example, if you use steel rather than aluminum, well, uh, you, I think, um, I read somewhere, you, you know, if to make aluminum, you, you, the manufacturing processes have to consume something like six times more energy than mm. steel, <laughs> right? So big, big difference in impact here. That's an example. Yeah. 
what else? Next one is specified materials that emit low or zero volatile organic compounds, VOCs, throughout the product's life cycle. All right. Mm. Well, yeah, uh, VOCs are a problem. Um, usually, uh, it's it's a big concern for human health because they yeah they it's like think of sort of you know gases that go around and stay in the stay in the room and so on right. But if you make something at scale, that can also cause a lot of issues in the environment. So certain mm. materials are much less likely to emit v- VOCs. And finally, use materials with a low environmental footprint. Well, that's kind of you know could be the conclusion if they want because that's yeah that's so wide, right? The next topic is design for manufacture. So when you design the product, you think already of how it's going to be manufactured, right? So they suggest well, seven or eight ways to do that. Number one is design uh, uh, reduce energy consumption. Yeah. So just as we mentioned, yeah, you pick steel, but the steel is going to have to be made, okay, but rather than aluminum, which takes much more energy, right? Reduce consumption of natural resources, for example, water. Um, yeah. Um, so, well, for example, if you pick, uh, you know, cotton from a certain area versus versus another area, um, in, in some places, uh, the cultivation methods will consume a lot more water, for example. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is reduce process waste. Well, to, yeah. Uh, for example, if you pick a manufacturing process that's much more mature, well, maybe 99% of the parts are going to be okay the first time without any rework or scrap. That's much better than an immature process where you have 60% first, part, first pass, you know, good, uh, good parts. And then after mm-hmm. rework and rework, Maybe you you still have to dispose of and maybe recycle or, or whatever, throw away. Maybe if 10, 20% of the parts, terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, next one is use internally recovered or recycled materials from food, from processed waste. Okay, that's sort of my example about cork, but there's so many others. Um, yeah. Like for example, you, yeah, if you do plastic injection molding, you don't want to reuse the you know the 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 first parts that are no good or whatever well you regrind them then what do you do maybe you need some fixtures for another part maybe for assembly maybe for painting maybe for something else right so you mm. can still do something with it where it's going to be adequate for for the for the needs you don't just throw it away uh reduce emissions to air water and soil during manufacture yeah that's sort of yeah like for example, maybe if you're doing painting, then you um you know you 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 have like water running and 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 things to suck the air um to really catch all of the paint that goes into the, the air. Whether you spray uh, like powder coating or if it's liquid or something, there's always gonna be a lot of air emission. Okay. Mm. And then you 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 take that um that all these substances and you have an abatement facility. Uh, maybe on the roof of the factory or somewhere, and you 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 grab it all together and then you dispose of it properly, right? You don't yeah. just let the the stuff go into the air everywhere, or you know. But I saw some factories where they they do the abatement, but then they have all these 
I don't the sort of juice I call it, you know, coming out of it, disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do with it? Like it, when it overflows like this, where does this lead? Like, uh, you know, well, it's like <laughs> the stream uh, running around the back of the factory. Yeah, it's like rainwater, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it goes to the river. I can right? imagine. Okay, well, good. You know, you tick the box, guys, with the abatement uh, equipment. You 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 shout out the money, but you don't even do the the regular work to you know to make sure it's worth it anyway mm. uh, tic right this is Chinese. <laughs> um <laughs> consider reducing the number of parts yeah yeah right uh, sometimes it's worth making parts that are a bit more complex uh, but maybe mm. you don't have to don't have you don't have to do so much assembly work on them and maybe they are much more uh sturdy and uh, the whole product is more more um um more durable okay one example is tesla has been working on a uh in their body shop like an enormous kind of press that would put into shape like the whole car body at at once so they don't have to to do so much welding like uh traditional car manufacturing well mm. um okay well they have an enormous press uh but then it Maybe overall, it reduces a lot of the, um, the other processes. Okay. And finally, reduce use of hazardous process chemicals, such as volatile solvents. Well, I mean, typical, a typical example of that is switching from oil-based paint to water-based paint, right? Yeah. So in the 1980s, GM did that first with cars. Uh, actually, my ex-partner, uh, uh, David Collins at CMC was one of the two engineers. Uh, you know, he was leading that team that that got to that. So that was mm. like an enormous achievement. And then all the other uh, car manufacturers did that pretty pretty, pretty soon after. Um, so that, that that was a very big win. But I, st- I still see an, a lot of manufacturing processes where it's all about um, it's all about oil-based paint. Right, um, in so many applications, well, yeah, it does. Um, it does force some process changes. It does take longer to to dry and so on and so forth. But it is possible to to go with water based paint in a lot of different applications, right? And you remember David Collins? You you, you worked with him also a bit, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he had so much uh, good experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, next topic is design for transport and distribution. Okay. So, yeah, the product's going to have to be transported, brought around, right? So, we come back to some of the same as mentioned before. Reduce product size and weight. Yeah. Same thing. Of course, mm-hmm. it has an impact for transportation for sure. Um, optimize the shape and volume for maximum packing density so, can you think of a retailer that does that pretty well in furniture in <laughs> furniture well uh, ikea is the is, yeah, is the IKEA, obvious yeah. one right, right. Mm. all flat packed and uh yeah mm. high density so typically their their products the, the packages come up with lower volume than you know much mm. less optimized uh, furniture packaging that's that's much more typical 
what I would say on this as well, uh, as someone that's recently done my kitchen, that uh, a lot of the kitchen manufacturers also offer the kitchens in flat pack as well. And we're talking like big units, wow. you know, all of the all of the oh. stuff. You, 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 they can be ready-made as well, but imagine mm. trying to put them all ready-made onto a truck. You need a much larger truck. So mm. they do tend to come in flat pack as well, which which I thought really surprised me. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not suspecting that. But this is sort of the trend, yeah. Um, mm. Then it can be made in a very big factory somewhere in Poland or somewhere, and then they ship it all, all around in, by truck, right? Right, so, exactly. <clears throat> not too surprising. Uh, but this sort of, um, yeah, pre-built and highly optimized sort of modules, yeah, that's 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 the trend a lot in construction in general. Mm. Okay, commercial construction in some types of projects only, of course. Okay, next one is optimized transport slash distribution in relation to energy efficiency and emissions. Yeah, so how are you even going to transport it, right? Mm. So, yeah, are you going to send by like a big batch and there to a central warehouse in uh, somewhere in maybe Nevada and then from there send everywhere in the US or are you going to do whatever? A small product, maybe are you going to do drop shipment? Are you going to well, drop shipping? Hey, it's a lot of smaller packages. Uh, you need to to have more packing material, probably. Um, it, it, it might be less, um, less efficient in terms of, uh, of shipment, but of course, mm -hmm. don't send by air if possible, right? If you can yeah. just put it in a standard 20 foot of or 40 foot container on a big ship. Uh, usually um, it's it's going to consume much less energy. Or the train, right? Now, uh, if it's uh, from China to Europe, for example. Would you also consider the door-to-door -door transport at this point as well? Because uh, I, I don't know about oh, yeah. the States, for example, but here in the UK, Amazon have recently changed all of its vans to uh, electric vans, I think. No, I think they're trying to change it. And mm. I, I think some of the other companies that do deliveries use electric vehicles as well now. So mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. you would you make the decision to consciously say, we want to use EVs to do the delivery, the last mile? Well, when you design your product, I'm not sure you can have that much of an impact here. However, mm. when you design your product, you can design it so that maybe, maybe for a distribution within the country, maybe the size of the packages, you know, is it going to fit in... Um, like a FedEx box, or is it going to be yeah. like a much bigger FedEx box? You know, so if it's just a little bit too big for the 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 medium size, and you're going to have to go for a large size FedEx box, that's going to take a lot more transportation um, you know, volume in the trucks. Let's say so that's an example where product packaging, product yeah. and packaging design can uh, can come into play because packaging. Packaging accessories are just parts of the bill of material, right? Uh, they, they're part of the product. So mm -hmm. it definitely has an impact. Mm, next one is reduce the embodied energy in packaging. Yes, some certain kinds of packaging are much more energy intensive. Uh, that That's for sure. And mm. well, some other points, but I'm going to come to it is just the next point. So I'm going to go through it. Uh, next one is... Use packaging that emit low or zero VOCs. So again, the certain substances, certain materials you just want to avoid because of VOCs. Okay. Uh, next one is increased use of recycled materials in packaging. So mm. 
that's the classic one where they say, oh, this little part of the cardboard is is um, is recycled. You know, <laughs> well, how much of it really is recycled? Or also is recyclable, but that's mm. that, that's for the last last part of the the product life cycle. You know, designed for end of life. So we'll, we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Finally, the last one in design for transport and distribution is increase the sharing rate, such as ride share options of commuting cars. Okay, I'm not really sure um, <laughs> how you, you know. This is more like when you design the product and the packaging, but also you design a whole experience, right, of mm. the, the product you have to offer. So yes, some in some cases. The companies really design like a not just a product, but like uh, how to say uh, the product and the way it's going to be used and the way it's going to be you know offered and the way they're going to charge people for it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to encourage a certain type of use, right? Uh, so that that sometimes uh, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then we get we still have two big topics to go. <laughs> Next one is design for use including mm. installation and maintenance. So this obviously is a big one for like electrical appliances, right? Like oven, fridge, this kind of like vacuum cleaner, etc. right? Not such a big topic, for example, for mobile phones or iPads, where all of the energy and, and materials consumed and everything to make the battery, to make the casing, to make the display, to make all these things, are a huge part of the total environmental impact of these these products. And then when you use it, you know, whether you use it one hour a day or two hours a day, well, um, it's not going to have such a huge impact, okay, on the environment, relative to the total impact of that product, of course. But when Mm. you buy uh, an air conditioner, that's the opposite, um, opposite um, tendency, right? Um, mechanism at play. It doesn't come with a battery or a big display or things like that, okay? It can be done for relatively cheap. There's only one or two components that really are, you know, relatively uh, pricey. But the more you use it, the more you're going to, the more it's going to have a, a big impact on the environment, that's for sure. So hmm. you also need to modulate, Right. Uh, design for uh, for materials, design for manufacture, design for use. Depending on the kind of product, some of them are going to be much more important than than others. Okay, so yeah. uh, design for use. Um, let's go through them one by one. So reduce energy consumption in use. Okay, so that's yeah, that's the obvious first one, and that's why. So I, I often come back to the European Commission because they. They are often a, um, you know, the front runners in regulating things, and it kind of shows where some other countries are going to go uh, a little bit later. Well, they've been regulating that for 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 a while, maybe ten years already, with the um, uh, ERP directive, uh, energy. Oh, sorry, it was eco design for something. I forgot. It was the original eco design directive that really very much focused on the energy efficiency of certain types of products, typically the big ele- electrical appliances, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, you if you buy, I don't know, a boiler for, you know, the water for the shower, you have these types of 
you know, A, B, C, D, I, I guess you see that in the UK also, right? You, you, you have an idea about how, how much environmental impact is going to, is going to have, right? Oh, yeah. How bad it is, right? So that's, um, that's a big one. Uh, number two is reduce consumption of natural resources, including water in use. Yeah. So, for example, yeah, coming back to the shower, <laughs> you have these shower heads that supposedly allow people to consume less water, maybe by having, you know, less water uh, flow, but maybe higher pressure. Yeah. Okay. Now, I've had an industry specialist tell me that actually it's not really true. It doesn't really it doesn't really um, uh, reach its sort of promise, right? But it's a very nice image. <laughs> mm. um, I'm just, I just have a doubt whether it really, uh, in the end, you really consume less, less, uh, less water. Okay, uh, but that's that's the idea. Um, next one is optimize quantity and nature of consumables, right? Yeah, like a car. You know, how much engine oil does it need, right? That's that's an example, or can mm. it can it use something that's maybe less impactful to to the environment? Okay, maximize the product lifetime. So there's four of them about maximize product lifetime, right? That means, yeah. Usually we talk durability, reliability, but here they have a nice way of cutting it down. So you maximize product lifetime in four ways here, like four major ways. One is designing for durability and reliability. Okay, so durability means it's going to take some stresses. You know, it's less likely to break like because of a relatively high stress. Reliability is it's going to take some stresses, maybe mild stresses, but like repeatedly, 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 and it can last for longer. Okay, so if you, um, I don't like for example in. Um, when they design planes, right, in Airbus or Boeing, they they know that certain metal parts are going to be subject to a lot of stress, like repeated stress, right? Every time it takes off and it lands and like, you know, the certain things that, that just um, accumulate, right? And a plane might be in use for, for 20 years, 25 years, maybe. So they, they want to use materials that don't suffer fatigue, for example, right? Mm. So ferrous, ferrous materials, metals, right? Based on iron, tend to have fatigue. So they, they they behave okay until a certain number of cycles and then very fast from a certain point, they, they kind of degrade. Okay, so that's mm. really what you want to avoid. That's just an example. There's many, many ways. And Andrew talked about it at length. Uh, Andrew Armenovin, our specialist about reliability uh, came on the podcast a number of times and talked about that so so yeah durability reliability is super important for maximizing the product lifetime the second way is ease of maintenance okay so you <laughs> uh, i remember we shot a video about um, designing for like maintenance and so on and yeah. i have like comparison of two photos a bmw uh, engine versus a Toyota engine. Toyota engine, you can reach what you want pretty easily. BMW engine, it looks like a magnificent beast. Like it's, it's wonderful. Mm. It's amazing. But how are you going to go and reach exactly what you want, right? No, it's, yeah, they're a nightmare. You can't even get the spark plugs out. You need special spark plug 
grabbers to to actually pull them out. They're 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 like a weird angle and stuff. They're, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, are you driving a BMW? How do you know that? <laughs> no, I used to, and uh, oh, used okay. to being the operative word. Yeah, yeah. I see. So <laughs> no, my car. I've got a French car now. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Yeah, ease of maintenance, right? So if it's easier, then you're gonna tend to maintain your 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 device, your product better, mm. right? Uh, whereas if it's really hard, well, good luck. Like air conditioners, you pull the the filter, you 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 clean it up a bit, and you you put it back. It's relatively mm. easy, right? That's a good example. Uh, not not the most pleasant experience, maybe, but not so easy to make it better. Number three, designing for repairability, right? So, yeah, you talked about Apple before, and that's yep. one of the areas where they really fell in, in, in hot water. Actually, mm. so looking at the iPhone 13, if you had to repair it, you know, first you have to go to a special shop, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, um, yeah. Anyway, they make it very difficult. Yeah, there's, but, there's no way you can just do it at home. <laughs> and, um, and and then you have to to reach out certain parts. It's really, really terrible. And you have, you know, the certain parts that are glued, like how you're going to undo that and yeah. without breaking everything and, and, and how you're going to reach something at the back. If you if you open it from the front, you know that's sort of issue. In the iPhone 14, it doesn't look like a big change, but internally the, the 14, not the Pro or Pro Max, but just the 14, actually inside is built in a totally different way, um, and you can access the different uh, the, the two sides, front and the back, much easier, right? Mm. So um, they they have been working on it. They have been feeling the pressure, so it's good. Keep the pressure on. <laughs> uh, uh, but repairability also means, you know, access to um, to spare parts uh, long in- into the future. Uh, no, uh, no obligation to um, to use a special kind of sc- screwdriver or something. Special tools, um, having yeah. access to maybe the schematics of the, the products and, and and so on to actually understand how to do the repairs. Right, all these kinds of things uh, come into play. So th- there's a lot to it. And then number four, to maximize product lifetime, is designing for refurbishment slash remanufacturing. Okay. So an example is the tires. It's amazing mm. that some, some tires, you know, they're sent back to the factory and they just sort of add up rubber onto it if you want, right? <laughs> That's amazing. Also, one of the, the French car brands, Renault, in one of their older factories, they are starting to to get some like some of their old cars and they refurbish them, right? And hmm. then they and then they resell them. They try to really encourage a circular economy, and that that's that's pretty cool. And yeah, uh, a lot of electronic brands do refurbishment. Even Apple, right? You can buy refurbished iPads and things like that. So that that's oh, really okay. a good Definitely. that that's really good because as I mentioned. Most of the environmental impact of an iPad is making it. So mm. some people are going to drop it after I don't know two years because there's a brand new, super cool iPad Pro, whatever that came out, and it's such a shame. But then if you can have somebody else use it for maybe another four years, mm. that's an enormous win for the environment, right? Uh, okay, so and then there's two more two more points here about design for use. 
mm-hmm. reduce emissions to air, water, and soil, right? So on, on the one side, you have reduced energy consumption and consumption of all the resources. And all the, on the other hand is, is the emissions to air, water, and soil, right? So yeah, Mr. Musk would say, oh, look at our Tesla, you know, zero, zero emission, to which we say, well, uh, zero direct emission, right? I mean, um, when you sell a, a Tesla in, in China or in the US, you know, what proportion of that energy is made by burning coal or gas? <laughs> mm, <laughs> so yes. anyway, is um, there's a whole debate about that on a number of products. But yeah, uh, in, in some cases, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty clear. And yeah, an example... And here again, it comes from a regulation in the EU, the washing machines for, uh, for, for clothes, right? So there's a big, big, big problem in the environment these days is that there's more and more microplastic. And whenever we buy, I don't know, that, that cool, uh, polyester, you know, sport, um, whatever, t-shirt or short pants or something, and we wash it and we wash it and we wash it, well, actually there's small parts of the, the polyester or the nylon or whatever it is. That just go with the water, right? Mm. And pollute the river systems and end up in the ocean or in the soils and so on and so forth, right? In the fish that we're going to eat, <laughs> etc. Okay, so uh, they, they, they're going to force washing machines to have some kind of filter to, uh, to recuperate that, um, all these microplastics. So that's an example. And, and by the way, there's a product also, I saw it on Kickstarter, the, just there's a company um, called Matter M A T T E R uh, in the UK <laughs> that uh, that's actually developing this kind of filter, right, to to equip relatively older washing machines. Okay, and then wow. finally, minimize or eliminate hazardous substances during use. So yeah, of course, if you can avoid, I mean, you know, internal combustion car engines i always come back to this kind of example but there's a bunch of gas inside you know the uh, gasoline in the tank that's a little bit hazardous and uh, in some cases it might make an accident much worse and 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 cause actually a lot of environmental damage also right when we move to batteries i i don't know if we are really trading for something better here but anyway (laughs) but at, at one point in the in the 80s and early 90s there were these cars with liquid gas, I don't know if you remember, and that also was r- rather hazardous. <laughs> you mean LPG? Yeah, 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 right, right. I think before before Shenzhen went fully electric, mm-hmm. I remember they'd converted the buses to be maybe LPG yeah. buses and the taxis, mm-hmm. the, the 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 ICE taxis, not the EVs. Of course, if you go to Shenzhen these days, as you recently have, everything's mm-hmm. like electric now, basically. Same but battery. yeah, I think people with larger like four by fours and cars like that in the UK uh, converted them to LPG. But yeah, it seems to have been something which came and came and went in popularity quite quickly. Mm, right, I see. Yeah. So, yeah, the use of hazardous substances. Um, mm. If it starts a fire or something, that can be really, really bad for the environment. Not to mention personal safety, right? Or property safety. Okay. And then, mm-hmm. so the late, the last design focus area, as they say, is the last step of the product life cycle design for end mm-hmm. of life, right? So there's six points here. I'm going to go through them quickly. 
Number one is restrict use of substances classified as hazardous. Yeah, because when you have hazardous waste, what are you going to have to do with it? Maybe you're going to have to to, to bring it to landfill, to have it incinerated. You're going to have maybe to have a, a specialized company, licensed company, come and collect it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if it's not hazardous, it actually uh, invites the thought, you know, hey, maybe we can do something with it, like a second life in uh, in another way, or, or maybe reprocess it to recycle it, right? But if there's something hazardous, it's going to be like put aside and maybe burn or something like that, right? Number two is maximize the ability to reuse and recycle components and materials, for example, designed by this, uh, for, designed for disassembly. Yes. So mm-hmm. if you make it easy for the products to be disassembled, for example, by the Daisy robot that you mentioned, uh, it's much more likely that they're going to be disassembled. But if everything is is very very small and is glued together or is like all molded together like an AirPod, well, forget it. The, the AirPods are not going to get recycled. Right? Yeah. There's, there's just no way. Terrible. Number three is minimize design aspects detrimental to use and recycling. For example, mixtures of materials. Yeah, when you mm-hmm. you make certain alloys or you combine certain things together, or maybe you, uh, you 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 print on 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 something. Okay, you, you use certain colors, for example. All of a sudden, oh oh, well, it's no longer recyclable because if you want to recycle and sort of separate it properly, it's no longer economically feasible, right? That that's a big one actually. Um, mm. Packaging is very very um, guilty of that. Yeah. Packaging. Chris, Christmas cards, <laughs> they're a good example. Right. Oh, you know, with all the sort of like the gold coloring on them right. and things like that, you can't recycle those. Sequins and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When yeah you have packaging yeah. that just mixes too many things together. Yeah, forget it. It's not going to mm. be recycled. Mm. Number four here is reduce amount of residual waste generated. Yeah. So, yeah, you have less waste to deal with. Uh, it's less material that is, um, you know, that has to be taken care of. Okay. Uh, number five is reduce energy required for disassembly and recycling. Yeah. So if it's if it's easy to disassemble, if it's relatively easy to to recycle without doing a, an enormous amount of, uh, of 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 work, you know, reprocessing. So for example, paper. Well, paper itself can be recycled easily, but if there's a lot of ink in it. Well, the process mm. of recycling it is much more energy intensive. That's an example. Yeah. And finally, reduce water required for disassembly and recycling. Yeah, in some certain types of products, you need to use a lot of water. And and then what do you do with the water? Usually, usually it's it's pretty dirty. Uh, are you really going to to uh, retreat the water? Well, that again requires more energy and like specialized equipment and so on and so forth. Right. So. Yeah, we went through the the whole product life cycle. I don't even know how many points there were. I guess I could have counted them before we started this, but I, that's mm. got to be sort of like 40 points or something like that. Now, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, that's that's a lot to think about. For example, if you're going to be importing products into the EU, 
actually you're going to need to think about and to be able to calculate this sort of information aren't you so it's it's not it's not like a nice to know this is a must uh certainly coming soon at least right right absolutely obviously you don't have to do everything sometimes no. for certain types of products you really focus you optimize your design for one of these points and you already have a massive win you know you might however you 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 um you calculate the impact if it's you know usually it's better to calculate the impact of a product on more than one um metric you know don't mm. don't just look at the amount of like equivalent of carbon uh, emitted or anything like that right but uh, amount of energy consumed or something like that okay sometimes you really optimize for one of these points and yeah you have a massive win maybe you you reduce by 20%, 30%, you know, and some others are going to be much, uh, much less bang for your buck, basically. So mm. you, you might really want to start first by looking at, okay, what was the the biggest source of the environmental impact, right? Mm. And how can we, if we did that be, be, instead of that, you know, what would have the, the biggest, make the biggest difference, basically? Mm. And you'll do that doing the life cycle assessment? Uh, so when you do a life cycle assessment, you collect all the, um, the data you can. And mm. yes, when you have a life cycle assessment, the, the data that go into the assessment, really looking at, at it, you can have an idea, right? Oh, okay. That this, this, these are like big, big sources of environmental impact, right? Mm. If we change this and this, what would be the, what's the sensitivity, Right. A life cycle assessment can help, yeah. Uh, the problem is that life cycle assessments come in all kinds of flavors with different assumptions. You can have very different results. Uh, oh. But the, the the it's very useful as a um, as a way to plan, to to look at the numbers and play with them a bit. Okay, if the assumptions mm. are not too uh, not too crazy, uh, and the whole set of data is is not worthless of course right well you can even if it's not exactly accurate you can already see you can already pinpoint oh you know whatever maybe it's yeah if it's a an air conditioner as i mentioned it's pretty obvious that's during use right so how are you going to make it more energy efficient or or how are you going to maybe direct the flow of the cold air in a better way so that people don't feel so hot or how are you really going to to reduce the, the energy used uh, when it's in use, right? That's a very obvious example. You really need to focus on that, I would say, first and foremost, right? Mm. Then when you really optimized it to death on that 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 aspect of it, you start to look at other uh, other points. And, and I suppose bearing bearing in mind today's topic, which is designing a product to have a lower environmental impact. Uh, if you've got if you're going through this process and you've got existing products, I guess it's it's much more difficult to make positive changes to an existing product that's currently being manufactured and is on the market. Mm. That, but what you'll be doing, what when you're going through the life cycle assessment process, and and basically you're focusing on how to reduce environmental impacts, you're going to take these learnings into your next product. I suppose that's more likely, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yes, your version two or version three or whatever. If you yeah, if you feel that it would give you a competitive advantage, and, and in many cases it also cuts your costs, 
right? Mm. Or it allows you to actually charge a premium because you can you can can show, look, you know, it's more durable. It consumes less energy, blah, blah, blah. And then here's the total cost of ownership to you, Mr. Consumer, right? Mm. In some cases, you can really charge a premium and develop a certain reputation for your products. It's a way of differentiating you in the in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But in, in some cases, it's just a smart business to, you know, to cut your costs, right? <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of that too. Yeah, makes make sense. I mean, uh, in in Europe, for sure, marketing based on energy efficiency these days uh, is it's it's shot up in popularity. It's everywhere. Yeah. Everything's got to be. It's the most efficient. You've got to have an air fryer now. Forget normal ovens. It's all about air fryers and whatever, you know, and like, and that was never around, you know, sort of pre-COVID really, not not to the extent that it is now. So, I mean, this this kind of approach, it's it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really here to stay. Mm. And, you know, hopefully we pointed our listeners to, you know, a methodology that, that can help. And, um, Absolutely. And also the, you know, I'm going to repeat is the IEC standard number 62430 mm-hmm. published in 2019. Yeah, the link will be in the show notes uh, and mm-hmm. and to, you know, some of our accompanying content as is usual. So, yeah, that's a good one, Renault. Energy efficiency, environmental impact, all of these things. So important these days. Good to cover it. And yeah, I hope everybody listening has found a lot of value in that. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.